From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to What's Wrong With Revenue, the show where we answer the age-old question, why can't our companies grow? What's wrong with revenue? This is episode 29, demand generation versus inbound marketing. And uh, I'm joined by a guest today, Joe DeRosa. He's the chief revenue officer at SafeBuilt. I'll have Joe introduce himself in a minute. Joe's a longtime friend of Square Two. We've worked with him in multiple companies over the past multiple years. And I thought he'd be a really good chief revenue officer guest to help us talk about this what's wrong with revenue issue. A little bit of housekeeping. You can catch the show uh, on demand at YouTube, the Square Two Marketing Channel. Every show is posted there first thing Thursday morning. You can go to square2marketing.com and sign up to get the show delivered right to your inbox on demand by simply subscribing to the show there. Uh, you can also obviously subscribe and like the show on YouTube. And if you want to check out all of Square2's audio and video content, go to square2marketing.com backslash square2 plus our Netflix style streaming service where we post all of our audio and video content. And just to cover all our bases, if you're into podcasts, you can get the show any place you like to get your podcasts. All the favorite podcast platforms have the show. So Joe, I know you're new to the show. We answered this question, what's wrong with revenue every single week, Wednesdays at four o'clock. It's such a problem for companies. They're really struggling to grow. When I do public speaking, I ask people to stand up and tell me whether they hit their numbers last month, last quarter, last two quarters. By the time I'm done, almost no one is standing. So obviously this is an issue and I really appreciate you being here to talk about it. So why don't you do a quick introduction on who you are and kind of like, you know, maybe how we got together a little bit and what you think you can contribute to the conversation. And then I'll set the table for today's show, demand generation, demand generation versus inbound marketing, because it's still such a common question I hear. When do I, you know, what, what are they? Do I use them both? Do I use one or the other? Like, so we're going to try to break that all down for everybody today. And like all of our shows, we do have questions that we'll answer towards the end of the show that people have submitted and uh, I'll have you out of here in time for your dinner meeting. Sound okay? Sounds great. Awesome. So why don't you tell uh, our audience a little bit about you and uh, how you came to be on our show here today? Well, first and foremost, Mike, thanks for having me. So my name is Joe DeRose, and I'm the Chief Revenue Officer for SafeBuild. We're a, a national provider of building department services as well as uh, professional services to local and state governments. And in many cases, we work directly with developers, both residential and commercial. So uh, think of um, any of the you know home builders that are out there up to a developer that's putting in an 80-story building in downtown Miami. 
Um, our goal in working with over 1,500 communities across the country is really to help create safe and thriving communities. So that's the business that we're in. No, it's a really cool mission. I like how you've kind of like uh, made it about uh, the people, right? As opposed to the municipality. So I like that. Good job. It is. Got to have safe residents for sure. You and sure you do. Safe communities, right? Live in and work in. Yeah. So that's, yep. For sure. Good. So tell everybody how we know each other. Oh, wow. So gosh, Mike, I think we met in, I want to say 2000. 11, 12, maybe. So at least 10 years now. Mm -hmm. um, and actually that was right for me in my career. That was right at the onset of when inbound marketing was becoming a thing. Um, and I had just implemented HubSpot at the company that I was at and you guys came in and really helped us develop um, a plan that we could execute to generate results. So um, and as you noted, we've kind of worked together at other companies along the way over the last 10 years. And I've certainly learned a lot about inbound marketing and formed some of my own opinions. I think it's a little bit like social media. If you ask somebody what social media is, you might get someone to say, well, that's LinkedIn. You might get something that's more elaborate than that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's taken on a, a life of its own over the last 10, 12 years. Yeah. What a nice segue. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. We've known each other for a long time. We've had some really good conversations about this over the years and um, happy that we've been able to help you at uh, your various stops in terms of helping your companies get to where they need to be. So, you know, um, Joe's right. Inbound, well, you know, the, the, the phrase inbound marketing was created by HubSpot in a book they wrote, I'm guessing 2008, 2009-ish. Um, uh, back then inbound was something that was catching a lot of good, uh, traction. People were really interested in its approach and we'll talk about it in a little more details. Um, but for the past, maybe 10 years or so, uh, there's been this kind of battle and, and, you know, demand generation versus inbound marketing, right? De demand generation is a little more, get your name out there. It's a little more branding and, and build awareness and let people come back when they're ready to, to buy. And inbound is a little more about earning attention and collecting contact information, nurturing that contact until they're ready to buy. So it's a little, I would say they're, they're, they're look, they're similar. And I remember when inbound was big, a lot of demands and people were like, well, we're already doing it. It doesn't need its own name. Like it's part of like just good marketing is inbound marketing. A lot of people said that about it. And I think there was something to that. Um, and I think honestly today, both are good approaches and they can live together in your company's marketing strategy. But, you know, demand generation does have an entirely different set of metrics and expectations and inbound has its own set of metrics and expectations like we said, I think demand gen is a little more proactive and inbound is a little more reactive. And we'll talk about both today. I remember, look, HubSpot kind of coined the phrase inbound marketing. And I had, I've had some conversations with Brian Halligan over the years. And he used to say to me, inbound is more about the size of your brain than the size of your wallet, which made a lot of sense to me and still does when you think about it. Inbound came around, like Joe said, during the recession. So budgets were tight. 
and people had to be smart with, with how they were going about executing marketing and what they were spending money on. And if you think about the real core around inbound, you're supposed to be there, be visible when someone's looking for you. That's really the, the essence of inbound is be in the right places when someone's looking for you. The essence of demand generation is getting in front of people who might not be looking for you. So there are kind of elements of both that, that could slightly be connected, but I think that's what Brian meant when he said, it's more about the size of your brain than your size of your wallet. Cause obviously you could buy as much attention as you want. We all could spend $50,000 on a LinkedIn campaign this month and people would see us, whether that's the right thing to do or not, it's another story, but inbound when it came out, really didn't have any of those tactics in it. It was about getting found on search. It was about having people come to your website, turning them from visitors into contacts and then nurturing them until they were ready to buy. That's really the essence of the inbound methodology, earn someone's attention instead of buying someone's attention. So that's a little bit of inbound versus um, demand gen. Do you want to add anything to that, Joe? Does that jive with what you think? I do, Mike. The thing that I would add is I view inbound from my experience is really working to establish a level of confidence with the buyer that you don't get with demand gen. So very overused phrase, spray and pray, mm -hmm. right? So that's how I think about demand gen. Like you're, you're, you're kind of buying some shelf space, but you're, you're not able to buy the confidence. And when you're putting out persona-based content that speaks directly to your buyer's problem, you're building their confidence that you get them and that you understand the problem. And that takes it to a whole different level that causes them to take action versus what you're gonna get from just name recognition with demand gen. So what I believe from what I've seen. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And you know, when we talk a little bit about the tactics that go along with a demand generation plan or the tactics that go along with an inbound marketing plan, they line up with what you're saying pr pretty closely. Um, there's also a lot of talk today, and there has been for the past couple of years about demand gen being kind of this ungated approach to, to marketing and inbound, you know, having more of a gated approach, right? Like, with a lot of demand gen marketing people and demand gen marketing agencies feel pretty strongly that you should ungate everything, share everything with everybody. Uh, and then when people are ready to do business with you, they'll know how to find you. They'll know how to connect with you. They'll know how to schedule a meeting and off they go where inbound has always been more of a gated approach where we need someone to give us their contact information so we can stay in touch with them. Uh, I think those two are still pretty consistent, although you know, inbound has, has, has uh, softened its approach when it comes to that kind of uh, idea a bit. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think the other piece too is to your point around gating content, what, I, what I've experienced over the last several years is while the original idea to gate content was to nurture later on. I think what one of the outputs of gating content is you're now able to track where your buyer is in their stage of the buying process because people are more likely to give you a little bit more information as, as their commitment is getting stronger and stronger. So it's not, I think it's evolved from 
hey, I just want to have a name so that I could ping them every so often with a fresh piece of content. Now you've got to look at the data and say, you know what, every 4.6 touches, someone's actually taking some action step or they're buying or whatever it is. So it's not just creating or um, acquiring the data to nurture, but it's also really helping you better understand your buyer's journey. Well, I agree with you completely. And I think the buyer journey is really at the core of, of good marketing today. And yeah. I think a lot of the demand gen tactics make it more difficult to know where people are in, in that right. journey. Right, right. Yeah. So it's, it's harder yeah. to, yeah, it's harder to craft that experience, which again, I think that's also the key to really good marketing today is crafting that experience for your prospect. And actively trying to move them through the buyer journey where demand gen to me is more like when they're ready, they'll come back to you and talk to you. And in the meantime, they're on their own doing whatever they want to do. And you don't really have a lot to do with it. Uh, this has been particularly difficult for me. Um, look, I'm a lifelong marketer. And when I first started uh, using HubSpot now, I don't know, 12 years or so ago, and I was getting access to data and I could, oh my God, how many Look how many leads we have, right? Like MQL. It's like, no, they're not ready to buy anything yet, but they are new contacts for people that are interested in what we do. It really got me excited about what I could do with those people, right? And um, with demand gen, you're really kind of having to trust that eventually they'll want to talk to sales. And, you know, Square Two has been doing all kinds of testing with ungating stuff. And, you know, I'm just watching my MQL numbers go down. It's not like we're not doing as good a job. I just have less people converting because I am giving more stuff away. It's really hard for me personally. I'm admitting this. This is kind of like an alcoholic with a drinking problem. I'm thinking that I have this issue of not knowing what my, my visitors are doing anymore because we've ungated stuff. So it's hard for, for some marketers to kind of get behind that. But I think that that's only evidence of the fact that the buyer is constantly changing and you have to be constantly testing what you're doing because what works today isn't going to work tomorrow. And the more right. gate you put on something, then you're narrowing down that right. funnel. So if I'm just starting my buying process, I might only be willing to commit to reading a 300 word blog. But right. if I'm halfway through it, I might be willing to give you my email address, maybe my title, maybe, you know, one or two other pieces of information. So it's helping you understand kind of where, you know, how quickly I'm getting through that buyer's journey. It is. And there are, there are probably other ways to, I mean, not probably, there are other ways to know what people are doing, right? You can, you know, generally see what pages they're visiting on your website if your your tools are set up properly. And you're completely right. And this is where I talk myself out of inbound marketing and into demand gen, right? I'd rather have, you know, 80% uh, of the people get my content than 20% of the people get my content because there's a gate, right? Like there's a reason why there's a significant drop off on conversion rates when you put up a gate, because there are a lot of people to your point who don't want to give us their information. And I'm basically with a gate preventing them from reading things that I really want them to read. So that's how I talk myself out of inbound and into demand gen. Yes, I want all of these people to get my stuff for sure. But I think there's also a discussion to be had around the fact that not every piece of content has the same value. So gating something like, look, when Gartner puts out its magic quadrant, it's gated. 
right? You're going you're gonna to end up putting in your name, your title, your email address, right? That's a very valuable piece of, of content that that specific company puts out. And a lot of companies do that, whether it's McKinsey or Harvard Business Review, you're, they're going to ask you for that if you're going to make that commitment. But no one's going to ask you to gate for, to read a blog on, you know, my five cooking tips for the week. So I, I think you have to recognize the value in a piece of content. Yeah. And I think you also nailed it too. You, there's, a, there's a place for gating in the buyer journey, right? Yeah. It's probably not upfront, right? When people are early in the buyer journey, let them get access to as much stuff as you can give them and let them get educated and let them, I think you mentioned this earlier, feel good about the, your company and the information that you're providing them. And as they start to work themselves through the buyer journey, you know, maybe you do have a webinar, right? That's maybe more middle of the buyer journey oriented content. And I think most people would be comfortable signing up for a webinar, right? You know, like, hey, I need the Zoom link and I need them to tell me that it's going to start in five minutes. So I'm going to give them my email address and I'm going to give them a little bit of information about me and then I'm going to go to the webinar. So it kind of makes sense to gate something like that. And then obviously the end of the journey is definitely going to be gated because they want to talk to somebody. And in order to do that, they have to share contact information also. So it's really interesting how what, the way this whole system has evolved over the years. And that, I, I think that's what I was just going to say. I think it's the whole evolution of the journey. People by nature are now used to giving out an email address if they want a piece of content, depending on where they're at, right? So it's not a surprise any longer. So I think part of that is just time passes. People are getting more and more information off the web. They're doing their homework. They're used to having to input some level of information in order to get something back in return. Yeah. So let, let's talk about this particular, <coughs> excuse me. Let's talk about this. Um, hold on. Go ahead. I'll take one too. There you go. Live shows. Great, right? Okay. So uh, if I'm a marketer, right? How do I, how do I, how, how would you go about telling someone how to decide demand gen or inbound, right? Like what are some of the signals? Like you're a chief revenue officer. So you're really looking at the big picture here. What are some of the signals that the company might be talking about at, at like leadership level that might make you say, hey, demand gen is good for us, or hey, inbound is good for us, or we need a blend because this is what the company's trying to accomplish. You know, give, give our audience like a big picture perspective on this decision. So I, I would wanna first understand where the company, like who my buyer is and where the company sits relative to that buyer's understanding of, do they even know I exist and are they familiar with what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. I, over all these years, Mike, I truly believe that inbound is part of demand gen. I, I look at it like they're, they're so intermingled. It's like sales and marketing, right? If you don't have the two together, that's kind of a really difficult thing. Mm -hmm. So they kind of have to coexist and they're uh, interdependent upon one another maybe. So I don't look at it as an either or. I look at it as it's a both. There's always some level of awareness that's going on. Awareness is gonna be 
your banner at a trade show or at an event, or, you know, I know that my buyers typically read this specific publication in the construction industry. So it will have, you know, a, a quarter page ad or a full page ad that just has SafeBuilt's name and a high level value proposition. But then I know that there are very specific problems that a city manager faces or a mayor faces. And I'm gonna create a piece of content that speaks directly to that pain point. So it's not an either or, it's gotta be both. Mm -hmm. So that's generally your philosophy, regardless really of the situation is you think that it's, it's today's program has both. I believe that, yes. Yeah. What I if budget's that. tight? I mean, do you then maybe change your opinion about it? I, I think you're going to look at you're going to look at your return or the potential return. Obviously, you have to, but I, again, with that's to say that there's a one size fits all. That would be really a difficult thing to say. Mm -hmm. I think they coexist. I think you make your budget work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're making trade-offs. Maybe you're going to give a little bit on trade shows and you're going to put it over here in content creation. My view is that content creates confidence in your buyers. You're either going to be able to project that you know what you're doing and you're an expert and that's going to come through the content that you publish or you're not. And when you're developing content and investing in that content, that content can be used, whether it's for demand gen or it's in broad strokes at trade shows, right? It might not be exactly what it resembles in an inbound fashion, but you taught me this, the whole concept of doing an ebook and every week you release a little piece of it mm -hmm, and right. over 10, 12 weeks, now you have an ebook put together. Right. So you're starting with the entire piece of content, but you're using it in different ways. I think the focus yeah. on content. Yeah, I, I, I 100 percent agree on the content piece. And this is, I think, like a lot of people when inbound became something, a lot of the people who were doing content marketing at the time had a lot of comments that this is really what we've been doing. Right. Create content, share it, convert somebody, yeah. nurture. Right. That, that's not new news. Um, yeah. So I think you're right. And content does kind of span demand gen and inbound marketing. However, if I was a new VP of marketing or a new CMO at a company and they said, Mike, your budget is limited, right, to half of what I think I need, I'm going to lean into inbound. And I'm going to lean into it because I am going to create a lot of content. I am going to create an amazing website experience. I am going to work really hard to get that website and that content found when people do searches. And yeah. when they come to the website, I'm going to work extra hard because the experience is so good to convert them into a new contact for my, my, my marketing contact database. And then I'm going to work really hard to nurture them with additional pieces of content and pull them through the funnel, right? That's where I'm going to start. So, you know, I might not have money for paid ads, right? I might not have money to go to the trade show. I might not have money to, you know, yep. buy a Gartner study or whatever, you know, companies do to, to get their name uh, into those industry analysts' mouths, right? Um, and I, I really do think that that's kind of where the roots of inbound came from. People who had, you know, limited budgets and wanted to still try to be effective 
And, you know, over the past. It's a surgical approach. It's a surgical yes, approach. Surgical approach. It, 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 it is more surgical. Right. And, and more complicated. There's more data, I think, involved in this approach than maybe in the general get your name out there kind of approach. Right. However, everything's so data driven today, I could probably talk myself out of that also. Um, but um, the point I was going to make is. If you don't have a lot of money, this is a very controllable way to start to drive leads for your business. Right. And then typically in typical fashion, once you show some momentum and some traction, generally more money gets presented to you. Like, wow, you did pretty good with the paltry budget we gave you. What if we gave you more money? I'm like, okay, well, I'm now I'm going to stretch into some of these other tactics that will introduce us to some other people, right? So now not only the people who are looking for me, but the people that should be looking for me that aren't, I'm going to put some content in front of them too. And now you're kind of covering both sides of the coin, like you said. Does that make sense? It does. And, and I think what I would add to the point that you made is earlier you mentioned one thing you you would be sure of is that you would have a great website. So I think, in my opinion, that would be your starting point. And I've, I've seen a lot of companies, I've, I've acquired a lot of companies that are very small. They have 10-year-old sites, static pages, nowhere to go, mm -hmm. right? You can do a lot of investment in inbound marketing, but if there's nothing to drive them to, so if we really want to talk about priority, like the number one priority would probably be to make sure that your website is functional and, and is someplace someone's going to get to and be like, ah, in three seconds, I get what you do. I understand it. I don't have to scroll you know, it's, it, that would be the place that I would want to make sure that a new VP of marketing starts. Yeah. That's, sure such, website that's, that's such a good point. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's where everybody goes, right. Some people I hear from a lot of clients, Oh, we're referrals. Like we, we, our whole business is driven on referrals. I say to them, well, that's great, but you, they're still going to your website, right? If you think that they're not going to your website, you're grossly mistaken because no matter what refer, no matter who people refer to me, the first thing I do, oh, let me take a look at their website, right? And if that website is bad, I'm thinking like, why did they refer me to this company? Like the trip's over, right? So it doesn't matter. I got this trusted referral from a friend of mine. If I don't have a good experience, I'm like, well, my friend, there's something wrong with them. Why would they send me here? So you're 100% right. The website, uh, and not only, and again, to your point, a lot of companies uh, bungle this it's not just the website, it's also the story. And I know we spent a ton of time with you at all your stops on the story. And that's why I'm so encouraged the way you talked about SafeBill. That was really nice in the beginning. But if the story isn't compelling, if the story isn't emotional, if I can't get behind the story, I'm not even clicking around probably, right? And if I don't know what makes SafeBill remarkable or you know what makes SafeBill different from the other um, construction service outsource companies that are out there, right? I'm not going to, I'm just going to hit the back button and see who else's website is better than yours. So you're hundred percent right. Regardless of which of these approaches you're taking, that is hundred percent where you got to start for sure. It's a really good point. Um, we're going to do some questions in a couple minutes, but before we do, I actually have a question for you. So do you feel like inbound has kind of gone through a bit of a downturn over the past maybe five or six years? Maybe like when we, first, you mentioned it when at your intro, when we met you at your first 
first company we worked with you at, like inbound was your thing, right? You really wanted us to help you with inbound. But I don't really feel like it's what it was when we were talking about it 10 years ago. So what, how do you feel about where inbound is and what's going on with it? So I, I think where inbound is now is it, it, it was a catchy buzz word 10, 12 years ago. And now it's just part of, it's just part of what you should be doing. It's mm -hmm. persona based content creation, reaching your buyer where they need to be reached, how they want to be reached. So it's really understanding that buyer's journey. Buyer's journey was never talked about right. 10, 15 years ago. Go to market was never talked about 10 or 15 years ago. That's all the rage now. You got to tell people, you know, here's your go to market strategy. We, you know, you had conversations about digital marketing. Mm -hmm. Is digital marketing, social media, how do those two play together? So I, I'm saying all that because I, I look at inbound marketing as, um, I don't think it's gone away. I think it's just become so ingrained in what we do. It's just, it's just what you do. You mm -hmm. don't call it anything special anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think the core aspects of it, Mike, are still 100% solid, 100% apply today. And everybody's doing it. I just don't necessarily think that they're calling it that anymore. Yeah. It lost a little bit of the rage, if you will. Yeah. So you'll be shocked to know I have a theory on this, right? Uh -oh. <laughs> so it, it, it kind of, it's, it's a two, it's a two-sided theory, right? The first theory is, I think what really drove inbound in its heyday was its focus on being smart and not needing money. And I think if you look at the time where inbound took traction, it was during the recession. And I remember very clearly when we were working with some clients and when we, when we met them, they were very excited about, you know, doing inbound and, and doing some demand generation. Then we went and we're like, okay, it's time to do your pay-per-click campaign. We need, you know, a thousand dollars a month. They're like, oh, I'm not doing that. We're like, well, well, why? Well, like, well, you know, I don't, I can't spend a thousand dollars a month on a paid campaign right now. Like it's the recession, right? Like that, that's not exactly what they said, but that was the subtext. So, you know, and that happened over and over and over again. I think people were much more um, thoughtful about what they do with their money and inbound provided an option, right? I think the past five or six years, I don't know about you, but I think people are spending money like drunken sailors on marketing and on all kinds of things. So they don't know whether it's going to work or not, but TikTok ads, let's, <laughs> let's do it, right? Um, I, I don't know. Are your prospects looking at TikTok? I don't know, but everyone seems to be using it. And I saw my competitor on it. So I want some TikTok, TikTok ads, right? Like, yeah. I think people are just doing all kinds. Let me buy some software. Well, how do you know what that software is going to do for you? I don't know, but it looks cool and we, we should have it. I, you know, my friend told me he bought it for his company. Okay. I mean, intent date is another one of those things. Like, let's just get some of it. Well, what are you going to do with it? Well, I don't know, but it seems like a good idea, right? Like, so I think, you know, account-based marketing too kind of popped up on the, uh, on the scene uh, recent, relatively recently. And I think account-based marketing took a lot of wind out of inbound sales because a lot of people understood ABM because it was kind of what they used to do when they made cold calls, just with a marketing overlay. So I think a lot of people understood it better 
then they understood inbound too. Oh, you mean we're going to actually reach out to people? Well, I remember when I was a rep, I used to make cold calls. So this is the same thing as that. Like only I'm going to connect through LinkedIn and we're going to send a cold email. Like I like this plan, right? Like, and I also think inbound at the time got a bit of a bad rap as reactive. And I think, and, and it takes a while to work, right? I know you and I have had this conversation. If all you're doing is inbound, it might take six months to get found, to generate that kind of interest for your website to be ranked properly, for people to start coming and the traffic to tick up and the conversions to follow. So I think a lot of people got impatient and they're like, well, what else can we do? And well, here are all these other things you can do. And that I think pulled a little bit of uh, energy out of this idea of inbound. I think part of the part, you know, if I can say this, I think part of the call it genius, if you will, of HubSpot was to the best of my knowledge, they were the first ones that actually came out with something that could pull the thread all the way through. And for a lot of us that were in marketing back in the day, you didn't have that visibility with demand gen. With demand gen, you just pushed it out and you hoped somebody would find you somewhere or another. Right. Then you see this new marketing automation tool and you see somebody opens this piece of content and then you track them to the site and then you look at what they looked at and they clicked on this and they downloaded that. And before you know it, you've got this entire experience in front of you in a visual way that you never had before. Correct. And it was called inbound, but today that's so commonplace. That's the word I was looking for. I think it's so commonplace now, Mike, that just inbound itself doesn't really apply. People that's such a good point. And, that's such a good and there's point. so many different marketing tools now that can do that. Obviously, HubSpot's still best to breed, but there, it's not... It's not the shiny thing that it used to be because people now have an expectation that when they go from company to company, whatever marketing automation platform you're using, you're going to be able to have that visibility of how your buyers are engaging with you. Yeah, that's such a good point. And you're really describing me. When I bought HubSpot 10, 12 years ago and I started using it for Square 2, that was exactly what I was excited about. I could actually now know what levers needed to be moved to improve performance of our company and obviously our clients also. So you're 100% right. And you're also 100% right when you describe HubSpot. It was genius to create this methodology around their software. And in the beginning, they didn't really sell a lot of HubSpot. They sold inbound. And if you wanted inbound, you had to buy HubSpot. So it was, and I've I've said this about them all along. It was one of the smartest, (laughs) most ingenious marketing uh, um, approaches that a software company could take in almost maybe in the history of, of marketing and software for sure, because even Salesforce didn't do that. Salesforce just built the software, took it to market, had implementation partners and brute forced the whole thing. Whereas I think HubSpot was much smarter about it, much more, you know, I guess at that point, 2010 or whatever they were at the time. But yeah, yeah I still to this day think it was a brilliant way to introduce their software to the marketplace. And I guess over yeah. time, you know, they got big enough that it didn't need it as much as they needed it in the beginning. And now it's about the product and about, you know, growing your company and so forth. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Really good conversation. I could probably go on for the whole hour just talking about this, but let's, a- let's answer a couple of questions because that's what people like us to do. So um, 
Let's see. Uh, we talked about a lot of things. So if, if I'll, I'll run through these questions. If we talked about it, we can just, uh, you know, spend a couple seconds on it and, and move on. But this is from John in Denver. My company asked me to generate leads today. So they're doing demand generation tactics, but I want to keep doing inbound too. Can inbound tactics run in the background? Now, you, you, we kind of talked about this a little bit, yeah. but do you feel like it's a background kind of exercise or like you said, more just like 50-50? I guess that's one of the things I that think, I always want to know. Like, yeah. What's the balance? Like, do you, and this is actually the next question. What's a good balance from budget and effort? Like, how, how do you, is it 50-50 in your mind or is it a little different? I think it differs dependent upon your your brand awareness. I think it's different dependent upon whether or not you've got accounts, prospective accounts identified and the personas within those accounts versus do you just know that ABC Inc. is a potential buyer of your service, but I don't know that Jane Doe is the person at ABC Inc. that's going to make the decision. There's a lot that goes into kind of this whole approach to the market to creating awareness and then building the familiarity and the confidence. Mm -hmm. I think that they should be hand in hand. I don't think it's an either or. I don't think one, you know, takes a backseat to another one. I think you've got to look at this and holistically and figure out what you're trying to accomplish based upon where your company is at, mm -hmm. at this point in time, from an awareness perspective and market share. And it, it's a, it's a, deeper conversation i think so how about at safe belt like how do you how do you look at the tactics at safe belt is it is it like as needed or do you have a specific thought process that goes into you deciding you know how much budget and how much energy goes into both sets of tactics no i would say it's a pretty comprehensive plan where we're looking at um you know we do a fair amount of business in the in the b2g space so with government and then we also do a fair amount of business in B2B where we're working directly with developers, right? So how somebody that is running one of the top 10 home builders buys, their set of issues and problems and challenges are gonna be very different than what a community development director of a community that has 62,000 people living in it, they're just different. Right, and they're going to consume their information differently, and they're going to make their decisions differently. So, on one hand, you've got, you know, you could have a couple million potential buyers or influencers on the B two B side. Well, on the government side, there's thirty one thousand jurisdictions in the United States, so it's a smaller pool. So, you've got to have the right mix. So, for me, it's a matter of thinking about how do I create the right mix that gets the right level of engagement with the right content that talks to the right pain points to convince somebody that I really know what I'm doing and give me an opportunity to help them solve that problem. Mm -hmm. So in your example, one, uh, one market might be better suited to one approach and the other market might be better suited to an, another approach and that's a better way to think about it than trying to decide like well, we want to do 50-50 or we want to do 80-20 or we want to do 20-80. It's more about how do I get to in front of the people I want to get in front of in the most efficient yeah. way and then let's work from work backwards from there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have to to me you have to have an open mind. It's like the old saying when you're a hammer everything looks like a nail. Right. 
right? right. So there's no, it's always going to be demand gen. It's always going to be in Belmar. It's always going to be ABM. No, it's going to be some mix of that. It mm-hmm. might be 90, 10, might be 80, 20, but there's a play for each one of these things. Good advice. Okay. Carl from New Jersey wants to know, can you talk to the expected results from demand gen versus inbound? And I'm specifically interested in the timing of those expected results. So I kind of alluded to this a couple minutes ago, but maybe you could talk a little bit about your experiences with how long it takes demand gen programs to actually start to produce results versus how long it might take inbound programs to start to produce maybe the same level of results. I know you have experiences with both. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So demand gen. So in my experience, I'll preface my, my statement with that. Um, it, It depends also greatly on the skill and the tenure of your sales team. So if you've got a really solid sales team, that's getting a marginal at best, MQL from a demand gen program, right? They might be able to convert that and sell it and you're golden. Um, If you don't have a really developed sales team, you might need a lead that comes through an inbound program that's, I don't wanna say pre-sold, but further down the road, right? And this also depends, Mike, are you using sales development reps? Right. Are you, you know, on the front end doing a lot of the heavy lifting, the traditional prospecting? So they're taking the lead and developing it, teeing it up for a business development rep to come in and close it. So again, it's this whole kind of circle um, to get to. Now on the inbound side, I would say the timing on that to me is really dependent on the, on the quality of the content. And the quality of the content is almost 100% dependent upon how well you know your buyer. If you can get laser focused on what's important to that buyer, and you can create a piece of content that triggers them emotionally because people buy with emotion and you know they justify things with logic, but they're really buying with emotion. And triggering that is gonna really be dependent on whether or not you've got a strong piece of content. So if you come out with a great piece of content, I think your ramp time, you could see, I mean, we have experience in one of the places I was that I worked with you. And I remember the first campaign that we did and it blew the numbers out of the water, it did. I think within, <laughs> within 30 days. Yeah. But that's not like that all the time everywhere. So there's a lot of other pieces that go into, you know, a ramp like that. Right. It's a good point. And there's a lot of facets to this question, this conversation. It, it's it's difficult to compare apples to apples. You know, in your example, I, if I recall properly, you had a huge database that hadn't been mm-hmm. touched, That's right. <laughs> right? So That's right. The, the just the idea of offering them content obviously got them engaged at a some, right. some kind of record clip. I mean, it was like, I think it was like hundreds of thousands of people, right? Right, which has never happened again. Um, yeah, you're, you're safe. You're safe with that in the record books for sure. Um, so that's a really good point uh, about speed to results. I think if we're gonna generalize this, then demand gen probably has an opportunity to generate results faster. Although the state of some of these programs today 
probably mean you have to be more patient than you used to be. Like everything that's going on with privacy and Facebook has made Facebook advertising a lot more challenging. Yeah. The, the general situation on LinkedIn and the, the, the clutter associated with, with what's going on on LinkedIn has made it a lot more complicated. I think probably Google's probably done the best job kind of managing their platform and their, their ads program to keep it effective. But yeah. our experience has been, you gotta really let these programs run for a good 30 days to let the algorithm kick in. And, you know, it used to be, we would know in a couple of days whether these campaigns were working. And now like the experts here and other people I've talked to are like, if you start messing around with it too early, the whole point of these algorithms is to generate results for you. And if you think about it, your objectives are aligned with the advertisers' objectives also, yeah. right? Facebook wants your program to be successful, so you buy more ads. Google wants your program to be successful, so you buy more ads. And so does LinkedIn. So they've tuned these algorithms so efficiently that <laughs> it, at least your objectives are aligned, right? And you, you got to yeah. be patient enough to let the algorithms kick in and start doing what they're designed to do. And so you know, you really got to wait at least a month. Some I've heard some people say three months for it to really start to work the way it's supposed to work. Um, and inbound, I, you know, if you ask a real pure inbound agency, how long is it going to take to get results? And if all they're doing is inbound execution for you, they should be saying six to nine months. If you're going to, to your point, publish content, fix the website, get ranked on Google organically. Like yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a relatively long ramp up if that's all but you're they, doing. But the other key too, is, is to make sure that you've got your baseline set. Right. Otherwise, you've got nothing to evaluate it to. Right. So, you know, if you've not done anything ever, you could drop a campaign and get 100 responses. That could be success. Right. That's a very so good point. Right. It's all relative, which is why, in my opinion, when you're doing something, I typically want to run something for a minimum of three months because I don't really think... I don't know, call me skeptical. I don't buy into anybody that would tell me I'm going to be able to change your world in 30 days. I've, I've not, I've not seen that. It's right. going to take time to create the content. It's going to take time, you know, for your partners to get to know one another. It's going to take some back and forth set up, implement, like to, to think about this happening in 30 days. If my CEO came to me and said, can you guarantee me this in 30 days? I would say I, this probably isn't where I would put the money if we need something mm -hmm. in 30 days. Mm -hmm. You have a remarkably refreshing attitude about that. I can safely say that that's not how everyone thinks about this, but I, I, I appreciate at least somebody having a realistic perspective on what it takes to produce results. So that's good. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to grab that snippet and use it at my next prospect meeting. <laughs> and, and Mike, you know, we haven't touched on this, but the other piece that affects all this too, we've talked about the buyer's journey, but if you're selling, um, if you're selling a pen, this could be a 30 second decision versus a set of complex, you know, like a, a, a civil engineering project it might take a city a year to figure yeah. out whether or not they want to do this or yeah. so just your whole buying cycle is going to influence how quickly 
results are going to come. So if I'm a new VP of marketing, I want to level set that with the CEO. Right. So that this, this bucket of dollars that was just given to me, if I've got a 12, 15 month sales cycle, how can I say we're going to see results from this in 30 days? Right. That's and, also just, you're just too smart for your own good. I mean, what is the sales cycle at SafeBelt? It's more than a year, isn't it? It's just about, yeah. About a year. Right. It's such a good point. Right. And I almost feel yeah. like it's, it's worth talking about the, I think the longer the sales cycle and the more complex the sale. And I think you probably have one of the most complex sales I think we may have worked with because I mean, you have like legislative issues in some situations, right? So um, the more complex and the longer the sales cycle, I almost feel the better suited inbound is for it because you have the time to educate them along the way, right? Yeah. And you know where they come in in their buyer journey is kind of irrelevant because they're going to follow the same process regardless of where they start that buyer journey, you know, whatever that, whatever that looks like. So maybe that's one way to think about this. If you're listening and you're trying to decide, you know, if I am trying to sell a pen, you know, maybe demand gen is a little better suited for, you know, an ad click here, buy it. Great. Thanks. Have it shipped the next day. Off we go. Right. As opposed to something as complex as, you know, construction outsourced services, you know, that is a very long and arduous journey for you and your marketing team and your sales team to, to take a, a prospect through. So the more they, you can educate, the more organized that education is. And like you mentioned this earlier too, the more aligned sales is with marketing and what marketing is sending and what sales is sending, the, the more orchestrated that entire thing is, the better you're going to do for sure. And certainly the more uh, you'll beat the competition because I'm sure most companies aren't particularly good at what we're describing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree okay. with that. Good. All right. Let's do uh, a couple more questions here and then we're wrapping up. We're getting close to the top of the hour, which is great. So um, I got an interesting question here from Steven in Dallas. What do you think the future looks like? Is it one or the other? Is it both? Is there something else we should be thinking about? And I'm kind of interested in the something else because we kind of talked about the one or both a few times. Like, do you see anything, you know, like I mentioned this intent data idea. I don't know how connected you are to intent data and what it does. Like I mentioned it to people, sometimes they're like, I don't know what that is, but um, what do you see on the future? Is there something else that, that people are going to start be thinking about artificial intelligence or like, what do you see coming oh, down the path? I, you know, I would see at some point um, marketing automation starting to blend in some level of artificial intelligence where, where they're using predictive analytics to really suggest another piece right amazon does this perfectly and has they, for years they right? do you just they looked do. at this pair of running shoes right and there's another four pair that everybody else that looked at that pair is looking at um i think the one thing that's for certain about the future is that it's going to evolve and i think the key thing for every every ceo every cro everybody has to stay in tune with their customer We've all seen the examples of what happens to companies when they've lost track of the customer and they become irrelevant, right? The Kodaks, the Blackberries, the Nokias, they had a dominant share at one point. Then there are other companies that have really maintained that tight fix on their customer. And that's 
your Netflix, your Apples, your Amazons, Intuit. I mean, I, I worked at Intuit for five years and this was back when it was actually a CD that you had mm -hmm. to buy for Quicken, QuickBooks or TurboTax and put it in your computer. And to think about how that company transformed itself just by continuing to listen to the customer and remain not just relevant, but almost like necessary is super, super impressive. So the key for me is the future will change for sure. And your customers are changing every single day. So if you think you're going to nail your buyer's journey today and put it on a shelf and not look at it for another two years, I would suggest that you rethink that strategy because it probably should be looked at at least yearly, if not every six months, yeah. just for a fresher or to refresh in it. Yeah, it's such a good point. And the buyer journey mapping exercise for our clients is such a big lift, right? They've never done it before. Yeah. We're helping them. We're giving them frameworks and we're walking them through it. And we're kind of guiding them and introducing the idea to them. And they do it with us. Some people do it begrudgingly because we've explained to them it's necessary. Some people are excited to learn how to do it. But it's such a big effort generally. I think that's really such good advice for them to consider looking at it. I, I, I think a year is not frequent enough. And you said maybe six months, but it, it's almost like someone in the company needs to own it and be constantly yeah. checking back on it. Like, hey, you know, when we deliver our product, like this piece of the buyer journey, it was good a couple months ago, but now it's kind of bumpy, right? I don't know what happened or yeah. you know, maybe the competition is doing something a little yeah. different, but we need to look at this. Like, I think that maybe that becomes a role in the organization, like buyer journey manager or so, something like that right well i i think i think the key is to make sure that if you're in an executive level position whether you're the cmo depending on the company if they don't have that title and you're the vp of marketing whether you're a cro or vp of sales whatever it is i think in that role you own getting the ceo to buy into the importance of doing a buyer's journey map and if you're if you can't garner the CEO's support, it's going to be really difficult. That's what I have found. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've been very fortunate where I've had a number of CEOs that have embraced it wholeheartedly, and they they want the learnings and they want it unfiltered, mm -hmm. and they use those verbatims or feedback loops to really change the direction or reframe the business. So. If you don't get that that senior most level buy-in, I think that's that will create frustration and you'll probably be spinning your wheels because all the output that you get will be really difficult to act upon because at some point it's gonna it's gonna force decisions that are gonna need to be made and whatever your delivery, the product, the features, functionality, whatever, whatever it is that you're selling, if you're truly gonna take the time to listen to the customer you're going to have to act on it. Yeah. I mean, if that's, it's almost worse. If you have this feedback and you fail to act on it, that's maybe worse than not even having the feedback. Right. Right. It is. Yeah. It's really good point. It is. Yeah. All right. Let's do one more question and then we'll wrap up. So, and this is interesting. This is from Arthur in Miami. He wants to know if you think the maturity or sophistication of the organization has some influence on which of these approaches they might take. How, how do you feel about that? 
So I, I do believe that. Um, I think if you're in an organization, the, the first thing that you should be doing is assessing the talent that you have in the organization and does the current talent have the horsepower to get you where you need to be. Not everybody is a writer. Um, mm -hmm. Not everybody is a content creator. So you could have a head of marketing that you know, either doesn't enjoy writing or just isn't a great writer. So how do you find the capabilities as well as the capacity to do it? I, I love to write, I, you know that. And you know, I, my time's very limited, but you know, mm -hmm. at, if I could write all day long, that would be a great thing. Mm -hmm. So I have the capability, but I don't have the capacity. Mm -hmm. in order to do all the content creation for safe build. So I have to, or, or any company for that matter in this position. So then you start looking for partners that could provide a little bit of, you know, another set of, you know, arms or legs, whatever, so to speak, to help you get things done. So I think, yeah, it depends on where you're at and your sophistication level with your company and whether or not that talent can actually accomplish what you need to get accomplished. I could not agree more. And it's almost as if on cue, you uh, <laughs> teed us up for next week's episode. So with oh. that, let me let me wrap up. Um, Joe, thanks so much. I really appreciate you joining us. You, you added a lot of really interesting nuggets and a lot of value to the show. So thank you. Next thanks week, episode me, 30, we're going to talk about what's wrong with revenue. You don't have the right people in the right roles. So look at Joe teeing up next episode so perfectly. And I got to be honest with you folks, I didn't even tell him what the next episode was going to be. So he really didn't know, um, which is just so great when a plan comes together. So um, Joe, thanks for that. I, I owe you for that uh, handoff there. So um, folks, thanks for joining thanks for again. Me. Yeah, Joe, no problem. Thank you. Again, uh, if you want to check out the show, you can get it on YouTube, like us and subscribe on YouTube, the Square to Marketing channel. All the What's Wrong with Revenue shows are posted there. You can go to our website. And uh, submit questions like the questions we answered today. If you go to the bottom in the footer, there's a What's Wrong With Revenue link. Click on it. You can subscribe to the show and get notifications as well as submit questions and we'll answer them. And last but not least, if you like the show, head on over to square2marketing.com backslash square2 plus, our free streaming service where you can get all our audio and video content. All the shows are posted there as well as all of our other um, stuff that we've done over the years. And we literally post something new every single week. So you can subscribe, check it out and get notified. And then if you're into podcasts, I know a lot of people are, check out the show. It'll be posted tomorrow on a podcast platform near you. Joe, again, thank you so much. It was good catching up with you. Good luck at Safe Built. If you need anything, you. you know how to get in touch with us and uh, have a good rest of your day. Good luck at your uh, dinner meeting tonight. And uh, I'll Thanks, talk to Mike. you soon. Thanks again. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye.